Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word of God, who is Jesus Christ. We, we ask that Jesus Christ would be magnified in this place today. Hallelujah. That he would be high and lifted up. Hallelujah. That we would, we would have a revelation of who he is to us. Who he is. He is the savior of the world. He is our savior. He is our king of kings and lord of lords. He is our sustainer. He is our life giver. He is our lover. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our salvation. And we rest in him today. We thank you that by faith we just enter in. We enter in into that rest. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. You're leading us and guiding us into truth. Hallelujah. We're being set free. We're being empowered. Reveal to us the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So for most of you guys know that when you go to church, adultery is frowned upon, right? Adult, adultery is frowned upon, right? But it might surprise you to a form of adultery that the church actually embraces and encourages. And that's spiritual adultery. And you're going to see this played out in the scriptures very, very plain. And you will find that each of us at one time or another has committed this adultery to our Lord. Amen? So let's get into it. Galatians chapter 1. I, if you haven't read the book of Galatians, get to it. What are you waiting for? Right? This, you'll see why. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, this is Paul writing. He's writing to a church and he says, he says, I am amazed. I am amazed at you so quickly um, deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. For a different gospel. So Paul is saying that there's, there's a different gospel that's out there than the one that talks about Christ. He says, to a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there's, there's things out there that people proclaim that are the gospel that are distorting the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Now, as you can tell, Paul is pretty intense right here. He, this, this letter, it, it, it's, it, it's not warm fuzzies. He, 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 is, he is upset. But the problem is I don't think you really understand how, how they would actually have heard this in the Greek. So for fun, we're going to look at a translation that I just love. I love the way he puts it. We're going to look at the Phillips New Testament translation to see, to give it a little bit more expression. All right? So he, this is how I would say it. I am amazed that you have so quickly transferred your allegiance from who, him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel. Not, of course, that it is or ever could be another gospel. But there are obviously men who are upsetting your faith with a travesty of a gospel of Christ. Yet I say that if I or an angel of heaven were to preach to you any other gospel than the one you have heard, may he be damned. You have heard me say it before, and now I put it down in black and white. May anyone who preaches another gospel than the one you have already heard be a damned soul. That's what it means in the Greek. That's how intense it was. This is serious business. 
And we need to make sure that we are believing the right gospel. Because Paul says that there are imposter gospels that are not actually in a gospel at all. What is the other gospel that Paul so vehemently warned the church of Galatia about? Was it some strange pagan religion? Was it New Ageism? Was it some Greek god of mythology? Was it emperor, Roman emperor worship? What was the, this, this false gospel that was coming into the church that was causing Paul to be so upset and warning the church about it? This false gospel, this, this false religion that the Galatians, it, it says that they were be, be, bewitched by. See, all false religions are based on this false gospel. All false religions are based on this false gospel that Paul warned the church of Galatia about and is warning us about. So let's look at it. Let's find out what it was. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then... Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul is saying that we, this gospel was by the hearing of faith and by what Jesus Christ has done. And there was a bewitchment. There was a bewitchment from a false gospel that was coming in that was getting people to, to leave faith alone in Jesus Christ and be moved into works. He says, he says that the works of the flesh, he, he, and I, I know what you're thinking. A lot of times when you talk about the works of the flesh, a lot of times you think of sin. Well, it is sin, but it's not that it's religious sin. Religious sin is trying to be good in your own strength and trusting in your goodness for salvation. And he says here that how did you receive the Spirit of God? Did you receive it by keeping the law, the Ten Commandments? Did you do it, receive it by being religious? No, you received it by faith. Right? You receive the Spirit of God by faith. Right now you have Holy Spirit living within you because you believed upon Jesus Christ, you were made a new creation. He goes on to say, uh, so then, does he who pro um, provides you th with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or hearing of faith? Have you ever noticed that in legalistic, law-based communities, no moves of the Spirit or miracles happen? And then... They build a doctrine that tells you that miracles and moves of the Spirit have passed away. Think about that. Why, why does it seem that in grace communities where people are putting their faith in Jesus Christ, in dependence on God, in dependence on Holy Spirit, in dependence on Him being our Savior, there, there seems to be more freedom, more liberty. The, the Spirit is able to move and miracles happen. Let's look at how the Phillips translation puts this. Galatians 3, chapter 1. Or Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Who's, <laughs> this is good stuff. Who, who's, we're getting edified this morning. So, <laughs> who saw Jesus Christ the crucified so plainly 
Who has been casting a spell over you? I will ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law or by believing the message of the gospel? Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the Spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward observances. Do you know that? Do you know that you do not start your life in the Spirit by trusting in the Spirit? And then after that, you go to outward actions to make you righteous? A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people come to Jesus to be born again, to go to heaven one day, and now they, get, they pat them on the backside, and they say, now go try harder. That's a false gospel. He says, he says has, all, has all your painful experience brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it of you. Does God, who gives you the Spirit and works miracles among you, do these things because you have obeyed the law or because you have believed the gospel? Ask yourself that. And that's something that the church needs to start asking itself. You know, there's a lot of people that are, that are afraid to pray for somebody else. They're afraid, they're afraid to, to lay hands on the sick. They're afraid to speak out. God put something in their heart. They're, they're, and, they, and they know that they need to say something, but they're afraid to do it. And the reason why we're afraid to do it is because we're not doing it by faith. We're judging ourselves according to the law. The law is holding you back from being everything that God created you to be in Christ Jesus. So what was this false gospel? It wasn't some pagan religion. It wasn't emperor worship. It wasn't some mythology from the Greeks. What was this other gospel? It was returning to the law and works of the flesh. The false gospel, this false gospel is what all false religions are based off from. Every false religion, every false god is based off from you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get beat. Every false religion is about you being good enough doing certain things to obtain God's favor, climbing the religious ladder. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can climb that ladder all you want. It's on the wrong building. Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not like any other religion on the face of the earth, and I hesitate to call a religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a family. It's, it's a total new way of life. The reason why Christianity is different from every other religion on the face of the planet is because it has nothing to do with your good works. It has nothing to do with you being good enough. It has nothing to do with, being, with a set of rules. It has to do with God saying you're not good enough. You don't have strength in yourself to save yourself. You, you don't have an ability to be like me. So I will become like you. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth. He lived amongst us. Why? So that he could redeem us and take us to heaven instead of trying, for us trying to make it to heaven. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. He has perfected you. Last week we talked about what true holiness is. Holiness is your position in God. You have been put into God in the Spirit. By faith in Jesus Christ, your spirit has been recreated into a completely new creation. Old things passed away, all things become new. Now believe it. Believe the gospel, believe the good news. All other religions are based on works. All other religions is based on, on your deeds and your ability. But Christianity is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ alone.
Amen? See, all of humanity was born into Adam. Adam, we were all descendants of Adam. All humanity was born into first Adam. You are So right now, as you sit here, you are either in first Adam or you're in last Adam. And I'm going to explain that in just a second. We are born into first Adam, and we are born again into the last Adam. Right? You need to have two birthdays. You have to have your natural birthday and your spiritual birthday. Right? Those that have, those that have been born once will die twice. Those that have been born twice will only die once. In first Adam, we were under the law. In first Adam, we were under condemnation. In first Adam, we were under judgment. In first Adam, we were under death. In last Adam, who is Jesus Christ, we are in grace. We are in holiness. We are in righteousness. We are in life himself. Let's see how this all plays out in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Who's that one man? That one man is the first Adam. Adam, right? The first man that existed, sin entered the world through him. And death through sin. And so death spread to all mankind because all sin. What is is this saying? This is saying that you were born into sin. You were born into death. And what did you do? You were, if you were born a sinner, guess what you do? You sin. Right? See, I don't ever get mad at sinners for sinning. Because that's their nature. They were born to do it. They were born to sin. Right? But you can be born again and you get a new nature. You get new want-tos. You get a new spirit living within you. And, and it, says, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world... But sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. So what, what, what he's saying here is that until the Ten Commandments, until the law entered the earth, sin was still in the, in the world. It was robbing, it was killing, it was destroying. The wages of sin is death. It was still having its way with humanity, but God was not counting their sins against them because if there is no law to say that your sin was wrong, how can he hold you accountable for that sin? Do you, under, do you understand that? So the law came in, to hold men accountable for their actions. It says, nevertheless, even though there wasn't no law, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Adam is a type of him who is to come. See, God had this plan from the foundation of the world. It says that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was, who, who was crucified from the foundations of the world, God had this plan of rescuing humanity. He, said, if, he says, if they eat from that tree, and they fall, and they separate themselves from me, and their eyes are open, and they know good and evil, he says, I already got it covered. I got a plan. And some of you are sitting here thinking, well, why did he put the tree in in the first place? Why, why, did, why did God give them a choice? If he didn't give them the tree, then we would be fine. See, if you don't have a choice, you don't have the ability to choose to love God or choose to reject God. You understand that? If, if you don't have a choice... It, it, women, if, if you don't have a choice in the man that you marry, how will that man ever know if you truly love him? Right? See, see that's the th- thing about it is, that, that the world is in the condition that it's in is because, not because of God, it's because God gave us a choice. God gave us a choice. And, and, and he says, he says that through Adam, he says, through Adam's sin, mankind was born into sin apart from their own actions. Do you understand this? You're, you're probably sitting there thinking, this ain't fair. I wasn't the one that ate the apple, but I was still born into sin. I didn't do it. 
Adam did it. Well, the truth of the matter is, is you'd probably have done it if it was you. But this is the mystery. This is the wisdom of God here. Because if all entered into sin through one man, then legally all can enter into righteousness through one man. You understand that? He said, so, so, so through Christ, all of mankind can be born again out of sin apart from their actions. Let's look at verse 15. Let's look at 15. Or 18, excuse me. So then, as though, though one offense, as through one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind, so also through one act of righteousness, the result was justification to all mankind. So that's it right there. Through Adam's sin, condemnation came to all mankind. But because condemnation came through one man, now justification, being justified, being made righteous, can come through one man, who is Jesus Christ. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the offense would increase. The law came in. What, what, why did the law come in? See, a lot of people think you need the law to be holy. A lot of people think you need the law to be righteous. A lot of people think you need the law to be a good Christian. But this just says right here that the law came in so that sin would increase. The law brought an increase to sin. It says, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. Say all the more. All the more. No matter how much sin there is, grace abounds all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Adam brought the condemnation, but Jesus brought the justification. Let's look at uh, chapter 8. In chapter 8 of Romans, chapter, uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right there, i got to pause here. There is no condemnation at all for those that are in Christ Jesus. Have you ever felt condemned? Have you ever been in a church pew and felt condemned? Have you, are you living with condemnation in your life right now? That is not the will of God for your life. That is not the will of God for your life. There is no condemnation at all to those that are in Christ Jesus. The reason why we, have, we allow condemnation to come in and imprison us in that prison of condemnation and feel, make us feel unworthy and make us feel inadequate and feel unqualified. Right? What is condemnation? When you condemn a building, what, is, what are you saying? It's no fit for use. Right? When you condemn a building. So when people feel condemned, and they think that God's condemning them, and a lot of pastors help, help it out by bringing condemnation. What, what they're saying is, you're not fit for use. God can't use you. And this is saying that the gospel proclaims that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The only way you can allow condemnation to come on your life is to not have faith of being in Christ. And how do we come out of Christ? How do you leave Christ? You go back to the works of the law. See, you start judging yourself by the law. Well, I didn't pray enough this week. I didn't read my Bible. Well, I miss, I miss church on Sunday, right? I didn't tithe. Whatever it might be, you are judging yourself according to the law, and you are allowing condemnation to come into your life. The law brings condemnation. And when you allow the, the law to come in and bring the condemnation in your life, it, 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 it severs your relationship with Christ. Because you are now looking at self rather than looking at Jesus as your Savior. 
It says that there's no condemnation. If you're sitting here right now and you're and you struggle with condemnation in your life, that you you feel like you're not cutting it up, you're not making the cut with God. I got good news for you. It's a lie. God is so pleased with you. He is so pleased with you. You know what? You want to know why he's so pleased with you? Because he's a God of faith. He sees you in Christ. He believes what Jesus Christ did. He believes that when Christ died on the cross and said it was finished, that it truly was finished. And that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you just put simple faith, childlike faith, into Jesus Christ. You were made a new creation, and God sees you in that new creation. He does not see you in your actions. Now you see yourself that way. See yourself the way the Father sees you. Amen? Amen. It says, it says verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, we do not walk according to the flesh. What does it mean? See, again, I, I got to get your religious minds uh, renewed here. When he says, fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. Your mind immediately goes to sin. No, he's talking about the law. He's talking about being justified by the law. He's talking about you trying to do good. You cannot be justified. Should we do good? Come on. Yeah, we should be good, right? But we, can, we don't find our justification. We don't find our identity in what we do. We find our identity in who we are. We don't find our identity in how we feel. We find our identity in who God says we are. You understand that? We're living in a world right now that are totally controlled by their emotions. Controlled about, this is how I feel. Or I did this, and so this is who I am. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and it's bringing, bringing destruction on this planet. You are who God says you are. You are. We're created by a loving Heavenly Father. You are exactly who God says you are. That's your identity. And, and it says that what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. What that's saying is, is that the problem wasn't the law. The law wasn't bad. It's just that we're bad. Our flesh is weak. And we can't, in the flesh, in our own strength, we can't keep the law. Do you understand that? But in the spirit, by being spiritually by living in the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit, by having communion with the Father. See, church is, the Christian life isn't just coming here and listening to me preach. The Christian life is day in, day out, communion, relationship with God Almighty. Do you know there's so many Christians that's missing out on the greatest thing, and that is day in, day out, having conversations with God, speaking with God, allowing Him to, to direct your ways, to, to, to speak into your life, to show you where you are to go and what you are to do. So many of us haven't taken the time just to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. <sighs> see, what the law does not do. See, so many people are confused about the law and what the law is for. Here, here are some things, and we're gonna, I'm going to read these off to you, and then we're going to look at, to, look at them in Scripture. What the law does not do. The law, it cannot make you righteous. It cannot make you righteous. You know, James says, He that knows to do good but doesn't do good, to him that is sin. So it's just not about the things you don't do. It's the things that you don't do. You, you're supposed to do that you don't do. Right? We think it's just, if I keep this list of ten. And, and, and then Jesus amplified the law. Read Jesus. Jesus preached the law on steroids. He says, men, if you even look at a woman with lust in your eye, guess what? You've committed adultery with her in your heart. So God says it's just not about your actions. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. 
And we need new hearts. We need new want-tos. We need to be delivered from the flesh, right? So it can't make you righteous. It cannot give you life. The law cannot save you. The law does not encourage you at all, right? You might be doing good, doing good over here, but then the law says, well, you missed it over here, right? Understand something. If you have a window and someone takes a little pellet gun and just shoots a pellet right through the, through the window and just puts a little teeny hole in it, is the window broken? See, it doesn't matter if you take a chair and throw it through the window and smash the whole thing out or that little teeny pellet. It's broken. And sin has broken humanity. It doesn't matter if it's just in your eyes a little, little BB or, or you just went all out and destroyed your whole entire life through sin. It doesn't matter. It's broken. We're broken. And we need, we need a Savior. The law does not encourage you. It does not strengthen you. It cannot help you to overcome sin. And it does not make you holy. These are things that most people have never heard before. What the law does do, the law condemns you. The law stirs up sin. The law makes you aware of wrath. We're going to see all this in Scripture in just a second. The law makes you feel unworthy. The law opposes you. The law curses you. It makes you aware that you're a transgressor. It shows you how unrighteous you are. The law, the law points, uh, points to your need for a Savior. There is only one positive thing that the law does. And it's the only reason God gave us the law in the first place. is to bring us to our knees and cry out, My God, my God, save me a sinner. That's the only positive thing that the law does. It points us to our need for Jesus. Look at, look at what the law does. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Look at this. He says, at one time you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. I'm not going to go into what that's talking about there. It has nothing to do with the circumcision you're thinking of. But anyways, <clears throat> he says, at one time you were like that, but now he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. How many trespasses has God forgiven you of? All. All. How many did you, how many, however many you committed yesterday? Guess what? They're all forgiven. No matter how many you commit tomorrow, guess what? They're all forgiven. They're all forgiven. Look at this. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that were against us. What were these handwritings of requirements that were against us? What's against us? The law. The law. And he says, which was contrary to us. The law was contrary to us. Having Disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So he disarmed principalities and powers. He, 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 he disarmed the devil. How did he disarm the devil? By wiping the law, taking the law out of the way. And every time, every time you put yourself back under the law, you are giving the enemy of your soul a weapon. To use against you. Jesus disarmed principalities, but the church has given them back as weapons. Let's go back to Romans. In, in, in chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he, that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. That's what the law does. But where there is no law, there also is no violation. What voids faith? What nullifies the promises of God in our lives? If, if your faith seems weak, if, if, you, if the promises of God aren't manifesting in your life, the one, number one thing you need to look at 
So many people think, well, you've got to look. There must be sin in your life. There must be sin in your life. No, the number one thing is, Paul says, it's people putting themselves back under the law. Because the law is not a faith. How can you have faith towards God if you think that you're being justified by your own works? Do you understand that? And God isn't going to allow his promises to manifest in your life so that you can pat yourself on the back. See, we don't manifest the promises of God. We believe the promises of God. The promises of God aren't something that we're waiting for to happen. The promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The promises of God are there. Well, how do, they, how, how do we appropriate them? By faith. You believe it. You believe it. Could this, could this be the reason that the church is not seeing a greater, greater manifestation of the promises of God? Is it because we're putting people back under the law rather than encouraging them to live by faith? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36 through... Or what is this? 1 Corinthians chapter 15... I don't know what this is. Oh, that's supposed to be 56 through 57. I made a mistake. Sorry about that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56 or, and 57. The, sin, the sting of death is sin, right? Death, power, gets, get, or death, sting is sin. The wages of sin is death, right? Look what it goes on to say. And the power of sin is what? You say it because you won't believe it unless you say it. What is the power of sin? The law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, you had the victory over death, sin, and the grave. Why? Because of Jesus. This is such good news. They should call this the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For all who, look at this, for all who are of works of the law, are under a curse. If you put yourself under the works of the law, you are actually putting yourself under a what? A curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all that things written in the book of the law to do them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous one will live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. Did you see that? The law is not of faith. The, the righteous must live by faith, but the law is not of faith, right? And he also says that anything that is not of faith is what? Sin. <laughs> now, is the law sinful? No. We were. It, 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 says, it says, the righteous one will live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, the person who performs them will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come on the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hallelujah. We receive the promises of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by what we have done, but what he, why he, what he has done. This is, this is such wonderful news, guys. In, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ. So what is he saying? Until Christ came... The law came in as a guardian to, to guard men from going off the cliff. God gave a standard. And men, even though we tried and we failed, at least we were trying to keep the law. And if you read the Old Testament, there's lots of time that Israel didn't even try, it didn't seem like. And they did go off the cliff. And God had to do something, bring into captivity 
to get them back, back on, the, on the right path until the Christ, until Jesus Christ could come into the earth. So this law was our guardian. It was keeping us, right? It was, it was training us. It says, but now faith has come. We are no longer under the guardian. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And again, your religious mind, I just read, for all of you that were baptized into Christ, immediately you're going to when you were a little baby and you got sprinkled, or you went down, you got dunked down in some water. You're, you're, you're doing it, going back to some religious, some religious performance. That religious performance was just an outward action of an inward work. This word baptism means to be submerged into. It means to be dunked, right? John the Baptist, that word baptizo is a Greek word. They didn't translate it. You want to know why? Because he would be called John the Dipper. That's what it means. Baptism means to be dipped. It means to be submerged. So when you read baptism in the Bible, don't think about the, 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 the religious action that you did. Yes, we should be water baptism because it represents our, our death and unity in Christ's life. But when you read scripture, you have to understand what it's saying. It's not talking about being dipped in water. It's saying that you were dipped. You were submerged into Christ. Your spirit came into Christ, and Christ's spirit came into you, and you are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. You are one spirit with him. And, and, and it says, we have clothed ourselves with Christ. You've been clothed with Christ. See, the law was our guardian. It told you what you were to do and what you were not to do. And it wrote you up if you didn't live according to its perfect standard. It kept a tally of everything you did wrong. That's what the law did for us. In Romans 10.4 it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Does it get any plainer than that? Christ is the end of the law. Are you, are you in union with the law? Or are you in union with Christ? Are you married to Mr. Law? Or are you in union with Christ? Have you been joined to Christ? Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know? You guys didn't realize we we're going to read the whole Bible today, did you? So, in, in, in verse 1. Or do you not know? He's asking us a question here. So, let's all say... Okay, let's see if I knew, know this. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those that are under the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is alive, she gives herself to another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress if she gives herself to another man. So what's that saying? It's saying that if your husband is alive and you give yourself to another man, you're an adulteress. Same if, a, if your wife is alive and the husband gives himself to another woman, he's an adulteress. But if the husband or wife dies and you get remarried, then you're not an adulteress. You're free from the law because there was a death. The death, right? The, the, the union, the covenant ended, right? Verse 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in regard to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another. See, we were in Adam at one time. We were under the law. We had a relationship with Mr. Law. We, we were in bondage. We were, we were trapped in that relationship. But it says that we have died according to, uh, in regard to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another. Who is this other? Jesus. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? 
If you are married and go off and get married to another, you have committed adultery. But if your husband dies and you, and you go and marry another, you are not an adulterer, right? Have you died to your old relationship to the law in Adam? Have you died to that? And have you been born again and have you again been joined to another? See, we are married to Christ and we have been freed from the law. See, at one time we were married to the law and Mr. Mr. Law was a good man. When we were married to Mr. Law, we, we married up because Mr. Law was perfect. He, he was, there wasn't a blemish on him. He was, he was a perfect, perfect man. And, and, and the only problem was is that he made you feel terrible. He made you feel terrible. Even on days when you thought you were doing pretty good, he would say, you know what? You could have did better. You could have did better. You know, man, let me just tell you. If, if, your wife, if you're blessed to have a wife that makes a wonderful meal, don't, don't taste it and say, you know, this is pretty good, but I would have done it this way. It, it just doesn't work. That's just, that's just a little bit of worldly advice for you guys, okay? That was free of charge, right? Don't, don't, don't ask me how I found out that it was good advice. So, no, no. See, even when you feel like you're doing pretty good, law would come in and say, no, you could have did better. You, you, you did, and, well, you did do good there, but you, know, you failed to do this over here. He would say that you could do better, and he said that you should have done it this way, and you shouldn't do that. He was always fault-finding. You know, Mr. Law, he was so perfect, but, and you could never find no fault in him, but man, he could find fault in you. He, he, he was constantly reminding you of your past, all your failures that you'd had in your past, constantly telling you that you were unworthy and that you weren't living up to God's standard. And, and, that, and, and because, of, because of that, he says that, you know, you deserve sickness, you deserve poverty, you deserve shame, you deserve guilt and condemnation. So that should be ruling over your life. He brought depression. He even brought, he even brought um, thoughts of suicide. See, Mr. Law told you that you deserve, you deserve this misery for being such a lousy spouse. But then we died. (laughs) We died to Mr. Law. We were joined to the lover of our souls. This lover of our souls, he's the one that encouraged us. He didn't, bring, he, he didn't bring any condemnation to us. He, he doesn't point out our shortcomings and our inability to perform. But by His grace, He made us into new creations. He gave us new want-tos. He empowered us to live the life of the Spirit. There was the move of the Spirit and the, and, and the Spirit moving within a church body and in your life is so important because that's where the victory is. Your union, walking in the Spirit of God, just like Jesus did when He walked the earth, is the victory. But we have rejected the Spirit of God, and we have embraced Mr. Law again. See, Jesus Christ will empower you to live the victorious life in Him. He he gave us those nuances. He washed us with the water of His Word. He, He presents us without spot and wrinkle. He makes us glorious, the Bible says. Look at, look, look at how our new husband is like. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. There's that word, submission. So subject yourself, right? Submit to one another. We're all supposed to be submitting to our, one another in, in, in the fear of Christ. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also wives ought to be to their own husbands and everything. This is such a beautiful passage of Scripture. This is such a beautiful uh, passage of Scripture. What, what it's, it's doing is giving us an imagery. It's giving us an imagery of Christ, Christ in the church. And, and, and it's saying that the, the, the wives represent the church 
And just like the church is to submit themselves, subject themselves to, to Christ, wives subject themselves to their husbands. Now, we just seen that we're all supposed to subject ourselves to one another. So it ain't that big, big of a deal, I don't think. But look at this. Look at the beauty of this. Let's go to the next verse. 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's he telling the husbands they have to do? He told the wife to subject themselves. He told the men, you need to die. You need to die for your wife. Just like Jesus Christ did for the church, you lay down your life for your wife. And tell me this isn't beautiful. Tell me that a Christian, the belief, the marriage in, in the, in, that, the, that Christianity teaches, that the Bible teaches, is not the most beautiful thing in the world. We have, a, we have a God that says, this is how I am. I lay my life down for my bride. Now, husbands, you lay your life down for your bride. Women, won't you love to have a husband that everything he did in life, he, he was sacrificing for you. He was laying his life down for you. Every choice, every decision that ever made, it was for the betterment of you and your family. Who wouldn't want a husband like that, right? That's what Jesus Christ did. And, and women, tell me, if you had a man that was doing that, wouldn't it be easy to subject yourself to him? It would. The problem is, is we got women that don't want to su subject themselves to a man and men that aren't willing to lay their life down for their wives. But when we do it the way God intended, it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. And, and, and he, says, he says, he gave himself up for her, verse 26, so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. Who, who's cleansing us? Who's cleansing the bride? Jesus is. It's not your job to clean yourself up. Jesus is clean, cleaning you up. He's speaking the word of God over your life. Hear him. Hear him speak to you. And the thing of it is, is you can't, you can't have a marriage relationship without having a relationship. You have to be joined one to another. You have to have communion and, and, and have conversations. And It's just not on Sunday once a, once a week. He says, he says that he's washing her with water word, that he might present her to himself, the church in all her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or no such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Do you know how I can tell if a man loves himself? How well he loves his wife. And the, but the thing of it is, is what is this actually saying? This is actually saying, he who loves his own wife loves himself. Who is our husband? Who is the church's husband? Jesus. This is all imagery, right? Jesus. So Jesus loves you. God loves you as much as he loves himself. Ain't that beautiful? He's, see, we think that we got to present ourselves worthy. We got to present us without, without spot or wrinkle or blemish. It says that Jesus is going to, to present us. Jesus is presenting us. This is, this is so awesome. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Right? Just as Christ also does the church. What is Christ doing for the church? He's nourishing it and cherishing it. Are you allowing him to do that? See, there's a lot of religious people that don't think that they can expect anything good from God. That they don't deserve it. Why don't, why don't they deserve it? Because they're still in relationship with Mr. Law. They, they can't allow, you know... The, the love of God to, to, to be manifest in, in, in their life because they have a relationship with Mr. Law. You know, you say something, the Bible says that God is love, but, but he has wrath. Well, not for me. God is love. It's because the reason why they can't accept that God is love, perfect love, is because they got a relationship with Mr. Law. Look at this. And it says, hmm. he nourishes it, he cherishes it, just as Christ also does for the church, because we are parts of his body. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. This has nothing to do with physical marriage at all, Paul is saying. It has to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no greater testimony of Christ in his church than a godly Christian marriage. And you, you guys know people like that. You guys know people that you, th- you think, man, they got a great marriage. It, it, every, it just, there's just something about it. It's because they're doing it God's way. And, and it all represents Christ in the church. Paul's saying this really doesn't have to do with marriage at all. It has to do with your relationship with Jesus. See, it says that in marriage, you are to leave your father and mother, right? Who were your father and mother? They were your guardian, right? They were your caregiver, correct? Who was our guardian? Who was our caregiver until Jesus came? The law. The problem is that we think by keeping Mr. Law happy, then Jesus will be happy. How would that make you feel? How would that make you feel? If your spouse said, well, I need to to repair and and make this relationship right with my ex. If I'm ever going to make my new husband or my new wife happy. How would you feel about that? How would you feel about if, if if the person kept on running back to an old relationship? How would that make you feel? See, we have died to that old relationship of the law, and we have been joined to another. We have been married to another who is Jesus Christ. And you cannot have a successful marriage with Christ if you're constantly running to another, if you're constantly running to Mr. Law. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ that we are supposed to be enjoying now and for all eternity. And listen to these words that Jesus spoke. These words that Jesus spoke. In in the context of everything that we've heard today, in the context of of us being under the law and, and, and under condemnation and under shame and under that burden of the of the law. You hear a new redeemer that comes and he, he starts he starts wooing people back to himself. And in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight, it says, Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you, and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable, and my burden is light. When Jesus said those words, he wasn't talking about your nine to five. He wasn't talking about a hard day's work. That that you know we're just going to live the easy life. He was talking about those that were in that relationship with Mr. Law. And all it did was bring condemnation. All it did was a, bring, was a burden into your life. It was a heaviness. It, it, made, you feel, um, uh, it made you feel separation from God. It, it, it didn't bring you closer to God. It made you feel miserable about, miserable about yourself. For some of you, the reason why you have a hard time coming to church is because that's the place where you found out how rotten you were. Jesus is wooing humanity and saying, give, give up. Give up that work-based relationship. Give up trying to be good enough. No matter what it is, whether, whether it's in a false religion or it's in false Christianity. He says, don't commit spiritual adultery. Don't run to another. Run to me, for I am your true lover. I am the lover of your soul. 
I am your Redeemer, and you are my bride. Amen? You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.